Good evening. Um, it's really good to be in here. This is awesome. I can't see a single... Well, I can see you all. That's good. Thank you. So smile. Thank you. Um, it's good to be here. I, uh, tonight's um, sermon uh, is titled, Jesus uh, is the Color Blue. Um, uh, each... This came up. You guys will hear... Well, you probably know why if you've been on social media and all the color blues in my head. Um, I'm not going to get into that, but uh, that brought up an article which reminded me of a, of a uh, is the NPR thing called Radio Lab? Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay, I listened to a Radio Lab thing on color that was fantastic a couple years ago, uh, and, and, and for whatever reason, when I was thinking about tonight, uh, something about the color blue from this Radio Lab thing uh, was sort of jostled in my, in my mind, and, and so tonight I'm calling this Jesus is uh, the color blue. Um, this uh, or each week, I guess, for this semester until um, the end of the semester, uh, we are talking about um, this idea that comes out of Romans chapter twelve, verse two, where Jesus or Paul says um, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds in order that we might be able to discern the will of God. And so each week we're taking sort of cultural ideas or common phrases or things. That we might say and, and, and suggesting maybe a better way of thinking and of life um, that might be a, a new way of thinking for us. Uh, and tonight fits, uh, I think, really well in light of all of that. I'm just not that interested uh, for the sake of time and trying to, to do the math for you. Um, so if it's a big deal, if you're a big context person, you like to know how everything fits and stuff, uh, I can talk to you afterwards. Um, but tonight, I actually want to try to keep this a little more brief than usual, um, to have a little more time. Uh, to sing tonight, um, to hang out, or go do homework if you need to afterwards. Um, so, so I'm actually not going to uh, spend a lot of time trying to tie this into the whole series so much as just uh, give you a sermon called Jesus is the Color Blue. So uh, let me pray. And uh, yeah, I, I don't actually use Egyptian or something, so I don't, he, he wasn't actually blue, but we'll get into that. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, you know um, better than I the words that are about to come out of my mouth. You know, because of your spirit's activity in this room, you know what is in the minds and hearts of every single person here. And I pray that in this moment you make room for all of us to understand your Son as Lord. And as that happens, I, I ask, I ask that what follows is hope and anticipation for you to lead us like a good Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So there's this, fa I think it's fascinating, fascinating idea out there. I don't know how we prove this, um, but somewhere along the way, I forget the guy's name, somebody uh, uh, in the UK, I think, was in the 1800s, was really uh, fascinated by some descriptions about colors and some ancient texts, and started looking specifically at Greek texts and looking at like Homer's works, Iliad and the Odyssey and these things and started just getting a little weirded out by the fact that the color blue never showed up anywhere in history. Like it's really weird that you read through all this stuff and you don't find blue anywhere. The Quran, in the in ancient Hebrew Bibles, like before we translated it into other languages, in ancient Chinese writings, the color blue doesn't show up. The only place it shows up is in Egypt. They're the only people that have any sort of distinct color called blue. They actually made blue dye. But, but other than that, it just didn't show up. I mean, we're talking six, seven, eight hundreds before blue started to, to begin to, to show up in other cultures and these sorts of things. And it's just, it's a really fascinating idea. And as one guy tried to test some theories out, um, 
I, I don't know how this started. Well, one researcher, I know the Radio Lab people talked about, um, who was fascinated by color, decided he would never tell his little girl what color the sky was. Like he wouldn't actually say the sky is blue. He just one day asked her. He made very sure that he never actually told her it was blue. And one day he just asked her what color is the sky, and she got really confused. She said, "I don't know." And then a little bit later, he asked her again, and she said, "It's white." And later on in life, she started saying it was blue, and and, and sees it as blue, and remembers it as blue. And that sort of fascinated this guy, and people have just started thinking about how crazy it is that blue is such a rare color in nature. Like, no, hardly any animals are blue. Very few are. Blue eyes are pretty rare. Like, the sky is, is blue, but, but, but it's, it's a strange sort of color. So there's one researcher that went to, um, how do you say that country in Africa? In, uh, Namibia? Namibia, thank you, Zach. I should have just asked you straight up. Uh, Zach actually knows every country's location and their names. Uh, could you? I'm dead, right, Zach? Yeah. And how to spell them correctly? He did some quiz or something online. Um, anyway, so Namibia is that is that good enough? Thanks. Okay. So there's this tribe in Namibia that um, apparently doesn't have a word for the color blue, but they have multiple words for the color green. And so there's this test that you can do for people that are, are growing up in the United States versus people in Namibia, uh, this tribe in Namibia, and you can show there's this wheel you can find with like 11 different greens, and one of the greens is actually a different shade of green that virtually everybody that lives in the United States cannot tell the difference between these greens, but everybody in this tribe in Namibia can, can immediately recognize which one's different. But then you look at the same color thing with 11 squares of green, and one of them is an absolute blue. Like it's blue and then a bunch of greens. And you can see every image of it, and everybody who grows up in the United States with, with this word blue, this category blue that we understand and have grown up with, immediately I look at it and I go, well, that's blue. How could somebody not recognize that it's blue? In Namibia, my phone is loud. In Namibia, um, uh, this tribe will look at the same wheel of colors that I'm looking at going, that's blue. And, they're, and you say to them, well, where is the one that's different? And they struggle to point it out. And it's a fascinating concept. Is it just because they don't have a category for it, can they not see it? Just because we don't have different words for lots of greens, can we not see it? I kid you not, in my own experience, I married a girl that graduated from the interior design department here. And when we got married, she would talk to me about colors in our house. And she'd be like, no, no, that one's got like lots of blue in it. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. And I, dead serious, I see blue in it now. Like, and I, I, I don't know if it's just like a mind game or whatnot, but this, it, this sort of has played out in my life that I actually am able to discern far more colors than I ever could eight years ago. Really. Uh, because I, I, because I, I think, because my wife was starting to give me categories for thinking about things. The phrase muted earth tones never showed up in my life before I started dating her. Okay, and that's probably like a dated phrase now. I don't know. But, but all of a sudden, I'm able to recognize those things quickly. It's just a, a, a wild thing. And I know that the, the, some of these researchers were thinking without the category of blue, either people didn't notice it, or, you know, or at least they couldn't discern it. They simply didn't understand it in their frame of reference. So, for example, it's apparently kind of famous, but um, Homer actually describes... In his epics, he describes the sea as a wine dark color, never blue. And it's such a strange concept if you've grown up knowing I see shades of blue even right here up front. You guys are probably seeing blue against these blue screens, against the walls and stuff like that, because we have this category. But this is my this has been my experience over and over again in lots of different ways. When I started dating my wife, she had this weird idea, and if some of you have this, I'm sorry um, for bringing it up, 
But uh, she had this idea that like it just drove her nuts that she saw the number 11 everywhere. And I was like, well, that's really weird. It's just it comes up just as much as any other number does, statistically, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. But, it, but she started noticing it and pointing it out, and it was like a year of my life I thought I was going insane because 11s were everywhere. Have you all ever had experiences like that, right? Like I can remember the very first time um, that somebody told me, they defined the word, they told me what the word ubiquitous meant. I felt it was the first time I remember learning like a smart-sounding word, you know, or something like this. And all of a sudden, I was like, I've never heard that word before. But in the next couple of months, I'm like, everybody uses the word ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous. You know, like, I mean, like, it really, I mean, it's crazy. I just never noticed it before. It's not like it all of a sudden jumped into existence between my seventh and eighth grade year. It had already been there. I just overlooked it, right? I got a six-year-old boy who uh, probably two years ago, when we actually this year, at the beginning of the, he's in kindergarten. At the beginning of the year, we drive. I drive him to school four days a week, and um, and driving by the same stuff every single time four days a week. I remember that he would begin to notice things like stop signs, and what he would notice on a stop sign the first couple of months of kindergarten was a red sign. Why? Because he knows what red is. And so he would go, Daddy, look, it's a red sign. Teddy, you just ran a red light. Those sorts of things, okay? And he recognized red. But now, because he actually has learned how to read, okay? Like he actually can read the word stop is what's called for him a sight word. I didn't even know what that thing is. But it's just like he doesn't actually sound it out. He's memorized what the word stop is. Like we're driving down the road and he can point out colors, but it's far more often that he actually is just reading words to me all the time. And it's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch because it's not like he saw similar shapes before and was like, well, that's funny. That's a similar shape to that shape. All of a sudden, spelling happens and the world just starts popping out at him everywhere. A new category of thinking was given to him and then he was able to start seeing it just littering his whole existence. The number 11, the definition of words, and for my son, just spelling in and of itself. I mean, it's crazy to watch him. He's in awe of the world around him because writing is everywhere. And it's so fun for him because this stuff, and he's lived for six years now, and, and he's never known that all of this stuff is existing everywhere. And so he gets so excited just to tell me about things he's reading that he never noticed before, even though we drove by it four days a week for months before any of that jumped out at him. And I think once these ideas or categories are brought to our attention, <laughs> What happens is we begin to have a place in our mind where we can fit those things. You know, often maybe a really cliche thing in a church context, it's a good one in a church context. Some, somebody somewhere along the way might say, well, the Greeks had at least four different ways to describe the word love. Or maybe some of you have seen Rob Bell's Numa video about love from like 50,000 years ago or something. I don't know how long ago it was. But like, but like, like all of a sudden somebody says there's more than one way to understand the word love. And what do you mean when you say love? Well, that's the first time you ever hear that conversation. Like, what do you mean, what do I mean when I say love? But somebody says, well, there's at least four different ways you could break that down. You could mean this, 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 or this. And, and what happens is when those categories begin to get created in my head, and I walk around my life and I start saying I love things, pretty quickly I start knowing what I mean when I say I love things according to those four things. And if you were to break those down into 12 categories, I would start seeing more. You give me these categories and spaces within which I can put these new ideas and I begin to start seeing them everywhere, all the time. This happens to me when I read scripture, when I read, and people, this happens all the time. I hear people all the time. They read a passage of scripture and they go, man, it's crazy. The next week it just was coming up everywhere. Maybe, 
Or maybe, maybe this new space was created in your mind to begin noticing something you hadn't noticed before. It was like a song from Beauty and the Beast that's coming into my head right now. Anyway, um, last night, for example, last night, it was a, a fantastic evening. Um, I, I was uh, had the honor of participating in this uh, panel on campus regarding sex and spirituality. And um, what to say about that? Okay. Um, at one point, though, there was like a, a string of questions and some comments from panelists up front um, that were, it was just coming at guys. Like, guys were just getting just laid low um, in our discussion and in our questions. And, and to some, there's, there's some uh, justification for some of that. But at one point, this woman in the back of the room uh, asked a particular question that just made me immediately just stop. And I wanted to push against some stuff. And I wanted to say, you know, and I did say something like this. I said, you might just be hanging out with the wrong kinds of guys. Like, there are other guys. One, one comment, for example, that was made uh, by uh, a gentleman was something to the effect of um, every time a guy sleeps with a girl, he's done with her and wants to sleep with another one instead. And I went, well, that's just not true. That's, that's just not. Maybe some guys do. But that's just not universally true. But, but what was crazy is sitting up on the stage, seeing the, the, like the faces in the crowd, when he said that, I saw a bunch of heads nod. And I was like, oh, gosh, are you kidding me? Like, this isn't something people are wrestling with. This is, uh, people are just agreeing with this. And so I felt the need to say, not every guy is like that. And let me tell you about some of the guys I know, and they're not perfect, but they don't think like that. And every time I've had sex with my wife, I don't wake up the next day going, man, I just wish I could have sex with somebody else. Like, that doesn't happen. I know there's something else. And at first... I, the, some of the faces that were asking the questions, y'all, this is what I saw. At first, I saw just complete disbelief. Confusion, almost, actually. Maybe that was before disbelief. Confusion. Like short-circuiting. Like, what do you mean there's a different kind of guy? What do you mean there's somebody else that won't do what those guys did? And then after that, when they saw other panelists kind of agreeing and nodding and jumping in and sort of coming up with a collective voice on this a little bit, then I saw something more like disbelief. Not confusion, but really? Are you kidding me? I hope, I think I saw it in a couple of girls' faces. I hope that somewhere in there, there was some hope. Maybe my experience isn't the only one. Maybe like the only category I had for men and sex in relationships before this moment, maybe that's not the only category there is. Maybe there's another way of thinking. Maybe there's another kind of guy. Maybe there's different kinds of, of relationships that exist. That, and I remember talking about women are not sort of guaranteed to end up with some jackass who wants to do that. Anyway, for some of these people that came in the room, it sure seemed like those were the only experiences they'd ever had before. And I really, I really think that now that it's been said, now that in a room of people, there was at least four people on stage and some other people in the room that seemed to maybe agree saying, no, 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 there are other kinds of guys. I hope, I hope that a new category has been created, and now some of the women in that room are going to be looking for another kind of man, not just assuming that all of them are the same thing fitting into this whole category. That kind, of, that kind of effect is massive. When we can begin to create a new way of thinking, to take in data in a new way and understand new possibilities in life that didn't exist before. I mean, it, it, ha it can happen with a color, not just an idea. That's how deeply ingrained this is in us. That potentially, if you just don't know something's possible, you won't see it. Really. 
Like if you don't know that a certain kind of thing can exist, it could show up in front of your face and you wouldn't notice it. So this sort of thing made me wonder, as I was reading some scripture for tonight, it made me wonder a little bit about what the disciples thought about their life before Jesus showed up. Because I, I think really in, in a lot of ways they, weren't, they didn't live a life that's so different from ours when you begin to strip away the iPhones and, and, and our clothing and the trappings of our culture that, that are just uh, cultural products or whatever. I mean, when, when, when I begin to sort of look at the disciples and ask questions like, were they worried about what they were going to do for the rest of their lives? Did they wonder sort of where they fit in society? Did they have just rough weeks where they were like, yeah, I just want to get through the weekend. I just want to push through this season. I can't wait until I turn this age when I have some kind of liberty or, or some kind of responsibility that seems to come with some significance. And I kept thinking, I, 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 can't, I have to imagine that the same sort of mind and heart dynamics that go on in our lives are going on in theirs too. And then Jesus came along and he starts preaching. The writers of the gospel say he starts preaching with this strange authority that nobody had heard really before. And he starts doing these miracles that they couldn't make sense of. This is what they saw. And they saw these things and they couldn't forget these things and they couldn't unsee these things. These things happened now. And so then you got to decide what they're going to do with them. They began to see something like the color blue and now they had to figure out how, what they, how they're going to incorporate that into the life that they had been living. What are they going to do now that a new thing had popped up that they had never had a category for before? So what I'm talking about tonight, and I'm going to just try to do this briefly, it's out of Luke 6, primarily, and I encourage you to read it. But the, but the story goes, Luke's story goes, that he start, Jesus starts healing people and curing sickness and diseases. And people are coming to him and flocking to him. Like he actually, after he calls the 12 apostles out of the disciples, he goes to this, it says, Luke says, this level place. And people begin to come from him from this whole region. Tons come to him, just hoping to get close enough to touch him to be healed. And in the middle of that, he stands up and he begins to address the disciples and he gives them uh, instructions uh, sort of on what, what a new kind of life can look like. And this is a, a different version of what you might read in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew's Gospel, it's like the longest single sermon that we have in Jesus. And Luke, in chapter 6, has a kind of truncated version of this. And he begins to tell them, this is what life, the kind of life I want for you, looks like. And so he gives them new understanding. He says things like, Matthew says this, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And some people out there are going, great, haven't done it. And he goes, but I say, if you look at somebody else with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And now this is like a new color. <laughs> this is a new category. I hadn't thought that way before. Has it always existed? Like, has it always existed and we just didn't see it? And now that somebody comes along and says blue, and I go, wait, that's what you call it? I never noticed that before. And he begins to do this sort of thing with the law. What you do with the words of your mouth, where you store your treasures, how you demonstrate your righteousness in front of people all the time, judgment, loving people, marriage, anger. He starts to paint a picture of a new kind of life and create new categories of thinking for this kind of life he has in store for his friends. 
This is what he's doing with them right after he does all these miracles in front of their face. And, and afterwards, afterwards, after I'm going to come back to this in just a minute because he has this question he asks them in the middle of all of it. But, but after he, he does this sort of teaching, then he goes and he heals somebody else and raises somebody from the dead. These new ideas, these new experiences, these new things that they saw. This is the kind of life I want you to live, disciples, don't you see? He says. And they start calling him Lord. They start calling Jesus Lord, my Lord, my master, my king, the one to whom I owe allegiance, the one who, who I'm trusting my life to. You are my Lord. They start calling him that, not because he asks them to call him Lord, but because they cast themselves upon him as Lord. He didn't walk up to them and say, call me Lord. They saw in him one who offered a new way of life, a better way of life, they thought. And they, in changing some of their names, in leaving things behind and following him, they were by action trusting that he could actually lead them into this way of life. And in the midst of all of it, right after telling them what kind of life he wants them to live, he asked this question that to me is, is staggering. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? And I really thought that tonight I was going to talk about that. Why don't you do what the Lord tells you? But I think I'm assuming too much. Because maybe some of you, maybe most of you, don't know Jesus is Lord. Maybe you've heard about him as Savior. Maybe you've been to some camp and said something like, I accept him in my heart. I don't know what that means, but maybe you've said that. I'm not like belittling that. I just mean that's different than calling him Lord. Maybe you believe that he's done some work that somehow cleans up your past. Maybe. But now you're on your own. Maybe you're supposed to go to church. Maybe there's some activities that you're supposed to do. But Jesus is your Savior. Maybe, maybe some of you don't know that he's also your Lord. And I've been wondering if for some of us that's like the color blue. Like I've been wondering if maybe Jesus as Lord is a new category for some of us. A new way of seeing things that has existed in front of our faces, been littered throughout the scriptures. It's in the life of our church, in the liturgies of our church. It's been preached from pastors and youth pastors. You maybe have heard Christians talk about it. You've seen it tattooed on somebody or on Facebook walls or in song lyrics or whatever. But because nobody ever said, this is what blue looks like, you just don't notice it. And so, quite simply, I just want to tell you that Jesus offers himself to you as Lord. Not just as someone who forgives you. Although that, I say that like that's simple. Um, that's far more than any of us deserve, and he does that. But he is not just offering himself to us in this room, to, to, to people all over the world and throughout time as, as the Savior from evil and from our sins and from the evil one. He offers himself to us as so much more than that. He offers himself to you as one who can actually show you good Abundant, powerful, free life. And not just when he stands sort of over here and says, that is what good life looks like, as if he's just a voice or a teacher, just that. 
He also is one who is powerful enough, like any really good Lord or King ought to be, powerful enough to carry out what he promises, <coughs> powerful enough to walk the thing he talks about. Many of you, I know, are trying to figure out what to do with your life, what to do with spring break, how to finish this week, how to finish this semester. What do you do with your roommates? How do you forgive the friend that betrayed you? Trying to figure out what to do with your romantic life. What do you do after college? Where do you live? Many of you have so many of these questions that, that are, and they don't stop after college. I mean, you continue to have to make decisions about how you're going to live and what you're going to live for. And, and in, the, in, the, in this amazingly awesome position that I get to be in as a college minister, I, get, I see in the midst of all of those things, I see so much anxiety and a ton of defeat. This posture often, and so many of you, this posture of just, I, 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 don't, I don't even know what I want. Because I don't know if I, if I tell you what I want, if I, can, if I think about what I want, I might be let down. I'm not going to get it. And I don't know how to decide what the right thing to do is. And so there's anxiety there and all of these things, these decisions to make and this way of life to live that's before all of you. And it's not just the way of life after college. It really is the way of life between now and Saturday. The way of life over spring break. The way of life as you deal with the rest of the semester when you come back before the summer. All of this stuff is before you. And it leaves me wondering if maybe you don't know that Jesus is your Lord. Not just your Savior, but the good King, the Lord who can lead you. He can actually lead you into new life and he can show you new life. And I keep thinking that's like the color blue. Maybe you need to hear. Maybe you haven't. Or maybe you've heard this before, but maybe you've never thought about this like it's a new category. A new way of seeing things. A new way of reading the scriptures, of sitting and listening to a sermon, of, of, of singing worship songs of talking about Jesus, of thinking about the way that you are living your life and why you're living your life. Maybe you just need to hear that Jesus' way of life is good and that he's powerful and that he's faithful. And I want to urge you to begin thinking about him as Lord. I want to, I can't do this for you. I kind of want, like, I imagine going to those people in Namibia um, and saying, blue, 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 blue. Like, I don't know how I tell them that there's this other color. I don't know how they're going to put two greens that look exactly the same to me and say, no, 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 those are two different greens. I don't know how to do that. But I, if, I, if I could do that for you, I would do that for you with this idea of Jesus as Lord right now. I would just want to say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He's offering himself to you as Lord. As one who can lead you and offer you new life as a new kind of color for you to behold and see new life in. For some of you, if you call him Lord, and, and, and I hope that if you call Jesus Lord, you call him Lord for the same reason the disciples did, for the same reason I do. Not because of some great sermon, but because I, I've seen him do great work, and I trust that he is good. Friends, he is more powerful than I am. I did not start calling Jesus Lord because somebody preached a great sermon. I realized, and this could be a great thing, I suppose, but I, I was told my whole life growing up, I'm a relatively competent individual, and I was told growing up I could do whatever I want. 
And then it hit me. As an 18-year-old in my senior year of high school, I went, no, I can't. And nobody would listen, right? My guidance counselor, my parents, friends would all say, no, no, you can do anything. I'm like, no, no, actually, I can't. Like, I know I can't actually do anything. I know I don't even live up to my own standards. My power has limits. My creativity has limits. My time is limited. I can't do whatever I want. I don't have the power to accomplish what it is I would like to accomplish in life. And then I started thinking about what I even wanted to accomplish in life, and I went, it's not even that great. I mean, like, as my 16-year-old self, it sounded great, but then I started thinking, and I was like, is it really that great, though? And first, I began to cast myself on Jesus, not because I trusted him, but because I didn't have any other options. I'm not powerful enough, and Christians keep saying he is, and I don't know if he is, but let's find out. And I remember I studied Romans, the book of Romans, and maybe any book of the Bible will do. I don't know. That was just the first one I ever studied. Because some guy up there started talking about Jesus, and I thought, well, I feel like I'm trying to figure out if I can trust Jesus, and I might as well find out if I like what he has to say. And so I went home, and I just started reading through Romans and, and, and comparing notes and, and started thinking, is the way of life that Jesus is talking about and promising, is it better than the way of life that I know? And so I began to just throw myself upon Jesus because he seemed to be able to do more powerful things than I could. And as I began to throw myself upon him, I began to realize I could trust him. I didn't have to be afraid of him. I could really, really trust him. He didn't have to ask me. He didn't come to my life and say, you call me Lord. I saw him heal. I saw him save. And I began to know him as good. I hope if you call him Lord, I hope for that kind of thing to happen in you. I hope that if you call him Lord, it's because you have seen him do great work. I hope he does that in you. And I hope that you can trust him as good. But if you call him Lord, because you actually believe he's powerful and you think that he's good, why do you not do what he says? Friends, as you go into spring break, and you think about finishing the semester, you think about finishing this week, and you think about your roommates and your housing situations and your jobs and all these other things that you have to make decisions about, I urge you to cast yourself upon Jesus as Lord. Not just the one who saves you from your mistakes or from your sins, but also as one who can lead you into new life. I encourage you to think about that like somebody from this tribe in Namibia would think about the color blue. Maybe you've just never known that he could lead you like that, that you could be safe in him as you continue to think about the next week, about the next two weeks, about the next semester, about the rest of college, about your romantic situation, about your roommates, about your family, about the rest of your life. He is a good Lord. And if we call him that, why do we not do what he says? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus. Our brother Paul says that we cannot even call you Lord Jesus and mean it except for the Spirit has already been at work in us. So I thank you for anybody in this room who believes that Jesus is Lord because it means that you've already been at work. And if you have started something, you will finish it. 
And so for, for, for those of us in this room that know you, that know our Lord as Lord, help us to remember why we call him that and help us to do what he says. And for everybody that does not know him as Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work to open up our minds and let us see him as Lord like we would see in the color. <coughs> I pray that you would help, that your spirit would come and help all of us in this room to trust that we are safe in Jesus' hands, that he is more powerful than any other dream or plan or strategy or method or relationship or person that has ever existed in all of creation. And how amazingly gracious and good is it that the one who is most powerful is also most good. And would you help us to cast ourselves upon him and trust him? Even as we sing songs to you tonight, help us do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. These next few minutes, um, y'all can sit, stand, lay down, kneel, whatever you want to do. But um, as we worship, just rest and be still in the presence of the Lord and know that you are in the presence of the Lord. Um, and lift your voices up to Him. Mm-hmm.